Bobby and Dave and Carrie for your service in Ecuador. We'll go ahead and dismiss uh, Antioch kids to your classrooms with your teachers. Uh, out of respect and honor for the work you're doing, teachers, we say this collectively to you, you are sent. <clears throat> well, good morning. My name is Tanner. I'm one of our pastor candidates here at Antioch, and we're continuing to work through our sermon series entitled Quorum Deo, which is just a Latin term that means in the presence of or before the face of God. One of our goals here is to see how our identity as worshipers of Jesus Christ is really the central identity that we're wanting to cultivate at Antioch. If we're not worshipers of Jesus, then none of the other things we try to do or put our hands to or identify as are really connected to anything. Um, first and foremost, we worship the resurrected Lord Jesus and um, the triune God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. And so last week we looked at what it means to be disciples and how worship and discipleship go together. We looked at Psalm 115 and said that worship was the essential task of discipleship. It's the thing we're called to, the thing we're committed to, to live life together before the face of God. And this morning we're going to continue looking at the connection between our identity as worshipers and our identity as blessing. If all of life is lived quorum Deo in the presence of God, then for the Christian, all of life is lived swimming in the water of God's blessings. It's the air we breathe. It's the life that we just inhabit. If you remember a few months ago that we talked about blessing being essentially this, that God is on our side, that we have found favor in his eyes through faith in the Son, Jesus Christ. So if you're in Christ, you're blessed. You're swimming in the water of God's blessings. But blessings were never meant, those blessings were never meant to stop with you. If you hoard them up, hold on to them tightly, they pull up and they don't flow through you into your communities and relationships and your neighbors. If blessings stop with you, then they might become a reproach instead of a blessing, which is what our passage looks at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, let's open them together. Isaiah 58. I forgot to write down the page number, so you'll find it via the index or the table of contents in the Bibles in the chairs in front of you. Uh, Isaiah 58, likely towards the middle of your Bible. Uh, what is it? 617? Okay, we'll go there. All right. Uh, the title of our sermon this morning is Worship That Blesses Others. Worship That Blesses Others. The main point, main takeaway, you forget everything else that I say, remember this, every act that truly blesses others is ultimately an act of worship. I say the word truly bless, blesses, because we'll see in a few moments there are acts that, that do not truly bless. Uh, there are false acts of blessing and false acts of worship. And so the outline that we want to look at is sort of an answer to this question. So every act that truly blesses others is ultimately an act of worship. Why? Well, because every act of false worship is ultimately destructive. And the true worship that God approves of is 
blessing, the worship of blessing. And God promises to bless those who truly worship him. So that said, if you're able, let's stand in honor of the reading of God's word. If you are unable to stand or uncomfortable standing, we ask that you take a posture of reverence in your heart. So again, we'll be in Isaiah 58. We'll read verses 6 through 9 together. Church, hear the word of the Lord. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? And when you see the naked, to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. If you do this, then shall your light break forth like the dawn. Your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. And the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. Church, the Lord has spoken to us. Let's respond together. Thanks be to God. And be seated. <clears throat> so last Friday, I mentioned this last week, it rained a lot. Like, just all of a sudden, out of nowhere, just started raining all day long. And that might not be a big deal for you, but my front yard, the ditch in my front yard was just full of, like, October and November's worth of leaves. And... That means that when that happens, like, water pulls up. You know, water comes down and the ditch level goes up. And when you have standing water and you live near Southern Parkway, that could be like an issue. Because standing water means that that water might find its way into your basement or house. Or it might pull up in your neighbor's yard and find its way into their house. And no one really wants to be that neighbor, right? You don't want to be the neighbor with, like, the clogged ditch that everyone else has to deal with when water gets into their house. So what do you do in that situation? Well, you maybe grab a bucket and start bailing, right? I like this. This guy's throwing water into more water, which is, which is pretty funny. Um, right? In, in Isaiah 58, the nation of Israel has some clogged up worship. It's full of debris and rot, and instead of God's blessings flowing through them and blessing their neighbors, they're letting those blessings pull up and become a reproach or a curse on their neighbors. So for context, Isaiah 58 comes in the the second half of Isaiah, which is a, a prophecy to the nation that is returned from exile. So it's a it's a prophecy to a nation that's not yet been, been retur- not yet returned from exile, but it's foreseeing what life looks like after they return. They've been redeemed or set free by God's suffering servant. We read about in Isaiah 53. And they are supposed to be a people who live under the reign of that servant and who rule accordingly. In other words, these people have been blessed, they've been rescued, they've been redeemed, they've been uh, returned from slavery and oppression, and now they're living under the, the rule of God's blessings, but their worship isn't really working. 
God's somehow not answering their prayers. He's gone silent on them. Why is that? It's because their worship is clogged up. Because they're practicing false worship. Which brings us to our first point. Every act of false worship is ultimately destructive. Which I recognize is a a serious claim. But God God takes it pretty serious. Look at verse 1. Cry aloud. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Sound the alarms. Declare to my people their transgressions. And to the house of Jacob their sins. So like, God pulls... Like, no stops, right? Go out. Tell them. Sound the alarms. Blow the trumpet. These people are in trouble. What are they doing? What have they been up to? What sort of rebellion has crept into their midst? Look at verse 2. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. So wait a minute, what's wrong with them? They seek me daily. Sounds pretty good. They delight to know my ways. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. What's wrong with that? Right, if, you, if this was a description of a church, one, as uh, Pastor Ray Orlett says, like, I'd join it. You would probably join it. But the words that follow after, after the as if are helpful. This is a description of a people who are putting on the performance of worship, yet they lack the sincerity of heart that worship requires. They have the appearance of worship, but they don't have the true posture of worship. It's not the worship that we talked about last week that seeks God's glory above their own. It's false worship that takes self-serving delight in putting on a show. So how do we know this? How do we know this is what they're trying to do? You read their complaint. Verse 3. Why have we fasted and you don't see it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? In other words, God, you are holding up your end of the deal. We're worshiping you. We're doing great things. We're seeking you daily. And you're not paying attention to us. And we really deserve it. But God is not entertained. You, you know that if you, if you read Isaiah chapter 1, right? God is not entertained by this. He will not be manipulated. Their worship does not begin with, Oh Lord, not to us, not to us, but to your name give glory. It's self-worship. It's about why God is not paying attention to them. It's about why they are not getting their fair share of the blessings they feel they deserve. Not only this, but it's also hypocritical worship. Look at God's reply. It says, Behold, look, in the day that you fast, you seek your own pleasure. You oppress all of your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and fight and hit with a wicked fist. The public worship that they are performing and taking pride in is in direct opposition to the life that they live in private. They're behaving like hypocrites. They claim to worship as a people who God has redeemed through the suffering of God's servant. Yet they behave like Egypt in oppressing others and fighting with one another. 
brings us to another principle of worship that's, that's throughout the Bible. We can't, we can't afford to forget this. The life that we live in private has a direct impact on the worship that we offer in public. The life we live in private has a direct impact on the worship we offer in public. The person you are in the car on the way to school, the employee you are in the cubicle when no one's watching, the parent you are behind the other spouse's back, the person you are in private, the things your eyes see when no one's looking, that person is bound up together in the person that you're seeking to be in worship. You can't separate those two. Now, the Bible doesn't teach that you have to live the perfect moral life to offer acceptable worship to God. Read Psalm 51. A broken and contrite heart, O Lord, you will not despise. That's not the issue. It's the issue of living a disintegrated life, of living one way in private and being someone else in public, of not acknowledging your sin before the Lord, but behaving as if he doesn't see it or notice it. When we come to worship on Sunday mornings, we bring with us the fruits and the wounds and the thorns of our weekday lives, and we lay down the fruits in thanksgiving. And we pray for healing for our wounds. And we confess our sins to him who is faithful to forgive. That's why these verses are important. When these people fast, they oppress their employees. They quarrel and argue with one another. They become violent. And that's why God hates their worship. It's disintegrated. They're using his name to do what they want. To seek their own pleasure. To do violence upon their own neighbors. And they have the audacity to expect that he will answer their prayers. They even complain when he doesn't. The person you are in private has direct implications on the worship you offer in public. Again, throughout scripture, John tells us that Cain's sacrifice was rejected. Why? Because his deeds were evil. Jesus teaches that if we have a dispute with our brother, we should be reconciled to one another before offering our gift at the altar. Paul tells the Corinthian church that their mistreatment of the poor Christians among them is causing some of them to fall sick or even die through their observance of the Lord's Supper. Peter tells husbands to love and honor their wives as the fellow heirs of grace. Why? So that their prayers would be heard. God despises the worship of whitewashed tombs. Those who have the appearance of worship but are filled with lives of pride and self-worship. Israel's worship is also, thirdly, manipulative and schemy. Look at verse 4. God says, fasting like yours in this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is this the fast that I choose? A day for a person to humiliate himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed, to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Your Sermon on the Mount bells should be ringing. Right? They think that God will be impressed with them as if they, if they have the appearance of humility. If they go through the right motions, if they check the right boxes, if they spread sackcloth and decorate themselves with ashes, then God will take notice of them. But friends, worship is not a scheme to get God's attention. It's not a way that we earn his favor. We worship in response to who God is and all that he has blessed us with in Christ. We have his full attention. 
In Christ, we have his full attention. Jesus says, your heavenly father knows what you need before you ask. You don't have to be like the hypocrites who try to sound lofty and brilliant and make a show. God already knows what you want. He sees you. He sees you in secret and he rewards in secret. You don't have to scheme with God. You can come to him freely and honestly in Christ. But thank God we've never offered worship like that, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's embarrassing. Uh, you know, they go around like those Israelites at Isaiah 58, 1 through 5. Right? You've never done that. Never. No, goodness. We've all gambled with God's grace. We have all offered false self-serving worship. We've all schemed and tried to barter for God's attention. If I just, if I play this card right. If I, just, I haven't been reading my Bible lately, so if I just start reading my Bible, then, like, then everything's going to start working out for me. We've all foolishly tried to pay for private sins with public worship. Don't believe me? Ask anyone who stands on this stage from week to week if that temptation is not real. Every act of false worship is ultimately destructive because it takes the good things of God and uses them as a means to either serve the self or abuse others, but it inevitably puts us in opposition to God. That's the law. Every act of false worship is ultimately destructive. It has the power to destroy ourselves and others, and it will. But here's the gospel. In Christ, we can offer true worship that blesses others. That's our second point. Because every act that truly blesses others is ultimately an act of worship, then true worship, the true worship God approves of, is blessing. Look at verse 6. Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? So what is this fast? It's not a fast of abstaining from food. It's a fast of abstaining from self. Specifically, it looks like two things. One, it's relating to others in a way that is characteristic of the blessings we have received. If you have been redeemed through Christ, set free from your bondage to sin and shame, then your life should reflect the character of that freedom. Here's what Paul writes in Galatians 5. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another... Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So loose the bonds of wickedness. Undo the straps of the yoke. Let the oppressed go free. Don't adopt the worldly economy of bondage when you have been delivered into the kingdom of grace. And second, true worship practices the hospitality and generosity of the kingdom of God. It's practical hospitality and generosity. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? So practically, it's the generosity that we're supposed to cultivate in our lives. As those who have experienced the love God has made known to us in Christ, we practice generosity. We clothe the naked. We feed the hungry. We give shelter to those in need. Here's what John writes. By this we know love, 
that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. And John's writing to the church and how they ought to, to treat one another and serve one another. But also, like, there is no limit to God's love and generosity for our neighbors. If this is how we're supposed to treat one another, how would we treat the people we interact with in our neighborhoods and daily lives? God's blessing flows through us. It doesn't stop with us. It flows through us and goes out to the ends of the earth. True worship blesses others by adopting a posture of stewardship. So we don't go about life with clenched fists, grabbing at everything that we can get our hands on, but we have open hands that view every blessing that comes from God as a responsibility of stewardship with which we bless others. That's why we're committed to things like not like staying a certain size as a church. We're not trying to build our own kingdom on Southside Drive. We're not trying to have the biggest megachurch in the South End. But rather, we want to use whatever God blesses us with, numerical, monetary growth, whatever it happens to be, to bless other neighborhoods with the gospel, that we might send people out to plant churches or revitalize churches, not to make our name great, but to send out people to the neighborhoods. It's why we don't have a lot of weekday programming throughout the year, because we want you to use your time that God's blessed you with to take a walk in the neighborhood, to know your neighbors, to have meals with one another, that you could bless them, you could live life as a sent one, It's why our declaration is not about pursuing a bigger vision for Antioch, but it's about intentional, small, one-on-one gospel relationships that display Christ's glory among the nations. It's stewardship. It's letting God's blessings flow through us. But these practical acts of blessing, if we aren't careful, can turn into acts of false worship. How so? Well, maybe it's the amount of boxes that we distribute and food pantry becomes the thing we take comfort in. We say, might say things like, well, God must be pleased with us. 80 boxes this week. Man, we're doing a really good job. God must be proud of us. He must be the church that's on mission. And then next month we might say something like, only 30, 30 boxes. I wonder what's going wrong. I wonder why God's not blessing us with more people to give food to. He must be mad at us. Instead of being thankful for the opportunity to feed the hungry, we can turn that into self-serving pride, the thing we take comfort in. Or maybe it's that person that you meet at a soccer clinic and you extend hospitality to, but then they start asking for more of your time and resources, and instead of seeing them as someone the Lord's called you to bless, they become a burden that's just getting in the way of the stuff you really want to do. And those are just two examples that I came up with pretty quickly, but you can see how practical acts can quickly turn inward. They can turn into self-worship if we're not careful. I bet some of you have had similar thoughts in life and extending blessings to others when you've been taken advantage of for your generosity or you just feel like you're constantly answering one ask after another. None of us are perfect keepers of the fast that God approves of. 
we all sort of walk the spectrum between pure worship of God and the corrupt worship of self, between blessing others out of our identity of those who've been blessed and practicing hypocritical self-righteous acts in order to be seen by others or possibly earn God's favor. All of us have fallen short of offering true worship. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ is the perfect keeper of the fast that God approves of. In Isaiah 61, that Jesus reads from in Luke 4, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When he finished reading this, he rolled up the scroll and said, This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus came to fulfill the true fast that God chooses and approves of. He came to lay down his life on our behalf that we might be released from the captivity of sin, to abstain from the abundance of heaven so that we may be fed by him, the bread of life, to be homeless with no place to lay his head so that he could prepare a place for us with the Father, to bear our cross and wear our shame so that he could clothe us with his righteousness. Church, this is how God has richly blessed us in Jesus. And it is in response to this and only this that we pour out our lives as a blessing for others. As the only true worshiper approved by God, we who worship in faith and follow after Jesus have received all of the benefits that God has promised to the keepers of the fast. If you are in Christ, you have received all the benefits that belong to him as the true worshiper and keeper of the fast. What are those promises? They're blessings. Our third point, God promises to bless those who truly worship him. So I know this is really dense. This was like super hard to make deliverable. So we're going to summarize up to this point, okay, if I lost you. So one, we are susceptible to false worship that seeks the self and harms others, okay? Two, if we're going to be true worshipers of God, then we must practice the worship that God approves of. That is, selfless pouring out of ourselves as a blessing for others in response to the abundant blessings that we have in Christ. Okay? Three, none of us can do that. But Jesus did. And as we are united to Christ in faith through worship, we share in the blessings which belong to the true worshipers of God. And those blessings are, verse 8, Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, your healing shall spring up speedily, your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Blessings. God's glory, the glory of God's light shining through us. Rather than hoarding up blessings for ourselves and becoming an annoyance for our neighbors, our light shines before others and they give glory to our heavenly Father. Resurrection healing. Christ was raised up speedily. His light broke forth like the dawn in the resurrection. We too, who share in the death and of his fast, will also share in the new life healing of his resurrection. Comfort, righteousness that went before him shall go before us, not of our own doing, but Christ's righteousness, which is ours 
in faith. But that's not all. Verse 9. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. We have confidence in our relationship with God. He loves us and he hears us and he approves of us in Christ. When we call out to him, he answers, here I am. He doesn't go silent on us. You're not praying out into the void. You know what that means? That means that we actually get what we've been wanting all along. As we prayed from Augustine, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. What you've been wanting and calling out for and crawling towards all along is to be able to pray and God say, here I am. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you may not ever admit it or even be aware, but deep down, all you've ever wanted All I've ever wanted, all anyone in this room's ever wanted, is to be seen and known and loved by a parent, a spouse, a friend, anyone. You just want to be known, for someone to care. And God sees you and knows you and loves you and sent his son to die on your behalf and in your place. And you will never do enough or be enough on your own. It's a given. Because of sin. God is holy and nobody except Jesus can offer the perfect worship that he approves of. But because Jesus is the perfect worshiper who died in your place, you can come to God through him. And when you call out to him, he will say, here I am. You can't offer the perfect worship, but Jesus did. And he did it on your behalf. So that what is true of him in faith, becomes true of you. And that happens when, you have, when your faith is in Christ. For those who are in Christ, you become an approved worshiper of God and inherit all of the blessings that God has promised to those who belong to Him through Christ. So we can have confidence with God. But that, wait, that's not all. Ten, if you pour yourself out for the hungry... Jesus did, and satisfy the desires of the afflicted. Then your lights shall rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. So God promises that his true worshipers will have the abiding light of his grace, comfort in the midst of chaos, peace in times of suffering, joy in seasons of despair. Verse 11, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in the scorched places and make your bones strong, more resurrection, and you shall be like a watered garden, like the spring water whose waters do not fail, and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, resurrection, and you shall rise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of streets to dwell in. Amen. That is how we've been blessed in Christ. Those promises belong to you in Jesus. What does this mean practically? What does this mean for our neighbors? How do we live out our identity of blessing? And says, this is, I'm going to, it's going to be careful. This took me like 72 hours to like articulate. So bear with me. (laughs) Everything that we have with which to bless others is ours and only ours because of what Christ has done on our behalf. Here's what I mean. Your money, your time, your resources, your energy, everything that you possess with which to bless others is 
only, you're only able to do that because of what Christ has done on your behalf. You're free to no longer offer those as self-serving worship, self-righteous worship, just self-justification worship. Your money, your time, your energy, your possessions it now belong to Christ, and he wants to use those to bless others. And you've been reconciled to God. You're no longer trying to approve yourself before him. And so you are a free child of God, and you bless the world with that. That's what that means. Everything that we have with which to bless others is only ours because of what Christ has done on our behalf. Because we follow after the true keeper of the fast, we now share as participants of that fast. No longer slaves to self, we are free to pour out God's blessings upon others. So Antioch Church, we have been set free from the bondage of sin. We are free from the tyranny of trying to pay for our sins through acts of worship. We are free from the burden of putting on a show. We are free. In Christ, God has blessed us. And those blessings cannot stop with us. He wants to use us as a channel through which he pours out his blessings upon others. He wants to do that through ministries like food pantry and soccer and our community garden. He wants to pour out his blessings to your neighbors as you walk the dog and have meals together. He wants to pour out his blessings through international or through intentional gospel relationships at work and with friends and with your children around the dinner table. He wants to pour out his blessings to the nations as we send distributed members and support and pray for and advocate for distributed members. And because these are acts of true blessing, they are ultimately acts of worship that follow after the true worshiper, Jesus Christ, who through his life, death, and resurrection rebuilt the ancient ruins of our fallen relationship with God, repaired the breach that sin had caused, and restored us back to proper relationship with God. His sacrificial death that he has blessed us with was the ultimate offer of worship on our behalf. And therefore, we can say that every act that truly blesses others is ultimately an act of worship, that we have been blessed to be a blessing. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he instituted another act of worship that testifies to his worship that he offered on our behalf. He took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. In the same way, he took a cup of wine and after blessing it, passed it to his disciples and said, Take and drink. This is the, cu- the cup of the new covenant marked by the shedding of my blood. As often as you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death, his fast, until he comes. Jesus said he'll not, he's not going to drink from the fruit of the wine until the new kingdom. He's fasting even now, keeping it for us. Church, today at Antioch, we're announcing this, that in Christ, we are blessed to be a blessing. Our tradition here at Antioch is to come forward, to rip off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. There will be gluten-free options on your right. There will be pastors in the back who will pray with you, anyone who has need. If you are in Christ, baptized believer, we invite you to partake in this act of worship. If you are not baptized, we would ask you uh, to take that next step before participating in the Lord's Supper. If you're not a Christian, we would ask that you 
take him, that he has made his blessings known to you in the preaching of his word. Um, and he is calling you to deny yourself, to fast from yourself, and to feast on him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the grace made known to us in the reading of your word. Thank you for the bread and the cup which mark all that you've done for us in sending your son to take our place, to offer true worship on our behalf, that we who worship falsely might be redeemed and worship truthfully. Father, we pray for the times when we've not been a blessing to others in our neighborhood, when we've withheld blessings from them, when we've kept them to ourselves. We pray that you'd forgive us and you would burden our hearts, that we would, we who've been redeemed and reconciled to Christ would let loose of all that we have, that it might go out and bear fruit and multiply among our streets and neighborhoods and cities, towns, and throughout the world, that Christ's name might be known among the nations. Father, we pray that you would bless us with this and that we would feel the weight of such stewardship. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.